Today we conclude our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Our text today contains one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's also one of the most knickknackable verses in the Bible. It's, it's the perfect verse for a keychain or a coffee mug. I saw it on a cup yesterday. But as we will see in its original context, this verse is talking about financial and material contentment. So everyone's favorite topic, right? At first glance, our passage today appears pretty tame. Paul appears to be uh, wrapping up his letter and offering some closing blessings. But in reality, this passage was revolutionary for the Philippians. And even today, it has the power to transform the way we think about our finances. Let me read verses 10 to 19 again. Uh, Listen closely. Try to follow with your children all around you Paul's meandering train of thought. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay, back in chapter 2, we were introduced to Epaphroditus. And now we learn that Epaphroditus had been sent by the Philippians to deliver a gift to Paul, a financial gift. And so Paul sends Epaphroditus back with this thank you note. Now, obviously, Paul's letter to the Philippians is so much more than just a thank you note, right? Um, But in fact, if, if you look closely, Paul never actually thanks the Philippians. Paul's letter is overflowing with joy and gratitude, but he never actually directs his gratitude to the Philippians. And that's, that seems odd to us. And I would submit that this would have been, been even more odd for the Philippians. You see, in, in ancient Roman society, gift-giving was how rich and powerful people garnered the loyalty of others. In giving to others, they were increasing the number of people who were in their debt, and obligated to eventually return the favor. We see an example of this, uh, this type of gift-giving, in the movie The Godfather. The Godfather grants a man's request for justice, but then he says, someday, and that day may never come, I will call upon you to do a service for me. But until that day, accept this justice as a gift on my daughter's wedding day. 
You see, the Godfather was giving what he considered to be a gift, but everyone knew that the gift came with strings attached. To receive a gift from the Godfather was to be indebted to the Godfather. And this was, this was largely how people viewed gift-giving in the ancient world in the first century. Most people would have thought that because the Philippians gave a gift to Paul, therefore Paul was indebted to the Philippians. But in 10 verses, Paul completely dismantles that idea. And he begins by downplaying his need. In verse 11, he claims that he was not technically in need because he has learned in whatever situation to be content. He can be content in all things through Christ who strengthens him. Paul knows the riches of the glory of Christ. The riches of the glory of Christ. And so to have much is of little consequence, and to have little is of little consequence. In Christ, he is always rich. And then in verse 17, he makes it clear that that he is less concerned with the gift itself and more concerned with how the Philippians will benefit from having given the gift. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit, he says. God will supply every need of yours. So notice, notice what he did there. According to Paul, this gift was not merely a simple two-party exchange. The Philippians as the givers and Paul as the receiver. According to Paul, there were three parties to this exchange. As it says in James 1.17, every gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So Paul adds God to the equation. Because although the Philippians sent the gift via Epaphroditus, God was the true giver of it. He was the true bestower of the gift. Paul is grateful for the Philippians, but he is grateful to God. So, do you see how this dismantles this first century understanding of gift giving? Gift giving. Do you see how this undermines the whole system of indebtedness? Paul owes nothing to the Philippians, and the Philippians owe nothing to Paul. Everyone owes everything to God. Every gift ultimately comes from God, and when we give, we ultimately give to God. The Philippians were to understand their gift as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, not to Paul. And therefore, the Philippians were to look to God for the fruit that increased to their credit. God was the guarantor of whatever debt Paul incurred. God would repay the Philippians for their generosity. And Paul was certain of this. My God will supply every need of yours. Again, this this undermines the entire system of indebtedness. It levels out social hierarchies. God is the ultimate benefactor. And his people are the means through which he channels his grace. God provides for us. He provides for us through us. When we give to others, we become conduits through whom God channels his grace to others. And so rather than relating to one another on the basis of what we can get from one another, 
We are relating to one another on a level playing field. No matter, no matter how much anyone has, it all ultimately belongs to God. Now, this does not mean that God wants to micromanage our finances. He has entrusted our finances to us. And, he, and we are to be faithful stewards. Faithful stewards who understand that we will give an account for how we use what we're given. Our master is very interested in how we leverage his resources for the good of his kingdom. And so we should take care to ensure that the way that we are spending and saving and giving, it's all done in a manner that is fragrant and acceptable and pleasing to God. Let's think about it. If what we give is first and foremost an offering to God, then we don't wait to give until we're happy with everything about the church. In our gospel reading today, Jesus commended a widow for giving a penny to the temple treasury. And then immediately after that, he declared that the temple would soon be destroyed. So how was that a good use of the widow's penny? The temple system was corrupt and it was destined to be destroyed. Maybe the widow should have kept the penny. Maybe she should have given it to a parachurch ministry or a nonprofit. But Jesus knew that the widow was not giving to the temple per se. She was giving to God. And her offering was fragrant, acceptable, and pleasing to him. God has given us 100% of what we have. And so we should be very hesitant to withhold that portion of our income that he has earmarked for the church. Now, not only does Paul's theology of gift-giving apply to how we give our offerings, it also applies to how the church receives our offerings. Ultimately, Sojourn Oak Forest is not supported financially by her members. She is supported financially by God through her members. So, no matter how much you give to the church, it is God who provides. And this means that true Christian giving does not obligate the recipient to the giver. And so you cannot purchase influence within our church. For the record, I'm not saying that anyone has attempted that. But I, I, I know people get tired of churches asking for money. Um, but in the ideal case, the church asks for your money because the church desires your good. We don't just want your money. We want your heart. We want, the, we want to gift you with the joy of participating materially in the coming of the kingdom of God. Now, uh, let, me, let me clarify that. God asks for 10% back, but it's not 10% for the kingdom of God and 90% for whatever else we want. God wants 100% to be leveraged for his kingdom. And this includes feeding your family and educating your children and purchasing a home and loving the poor. It includes starting new businesses. It includes throwing a lavish feast every once in a while. And it even includes recreation and vacation. That those things are not necessarily not kingdom expenditures. God is wanting to see you leverage all of it for his glory. Because, listen, 
Joy is the whole point. Joy is the whole point of all of this. God gives us these guidelines because he is determined to see us filled with joy. And he is determined to see our neighbors filled with joy. And he's determined to see the whole world filled with joy. That is why we spend and save and give joy. Okay, this is a sharp turn, um, but I'm closing out the sermon series. So, in closing the sermon series, I want to return to a theme that Paul has been weaving throughout this letter. Sometimes, in, in the last chapter of a novel or in the final scene of a movie, something happens that brings the entire narrative into focus. Something is said or done that punctuates the basic message of the entire story. And, and I think Paul's letter to the Philippians is doing something like that. As I've said a number of times now, Paul is writing to a church full of Roman citizens and calling them to live like heavenly citizens. Paul was in prison because his loyalty to Christ had come into conflict with his loyalty to Caesar. And the Philippians were facing a crisis of their own because their loyalty to Christ was coming into conflict with their loyalty to Caesar. There is only room for one king of kings. But look at verses 21 and 22, real quick. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. I, I picture Paul with a big grin on his face as he writes that. Just imagine how encouraging that must have been to the Philippians. Paul may be in prison, but there are members of the household of Caesar who are proclaiming the very same message. There are members of the household of Caesar praying for the Philippians and sending their greetings. The gospel has penetrated to the very heart of the empire. The gospel is winning. The Romans are fighting a losing battle against the gospel. Let the gospel loose and it turns the world upside down. Lock the gospel up and it turns the world inside out. It's only a matter of time until those who crucified Jesus acknowledge him as Lord. The kingdom is coming. And Paul and the Philippians will soon be vindicated. You see, in the Bible, prison is often a precursor to dominion. When faithful people are imprisoned, it means that they are about to be given dominion. Joseph was in prison. Dominion. Daniel was in the lion's den. Dominion. Christ was arrested and executed. Dominion. And this is still true today. All throughout church history, prison has been a precursor to dominion. If you see Christians going to prison for their faith, the gospel is winning. The gospel is winning. That is how the kingdom of God works. So as the Philippians are wrestling with their dual citizenship, Paul offers them this subtle reminder. If you want to play for the winning team, if you want to play for the winning team, remain true to your heavenly citizenship. It may look like losing, but victory is just around the corner. 
The church is not a side project for Jesus. Being our king is his full-time gig, and he's very good at it. And this means that no matter how dark things get, we have to believe that gospel victory is always just around the corner. If Jesus is in charge, how could we believe anything less? And as citizens of a kingdom like that, how could we, how could we not rejoice? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of every good thing. We look to you to supply our every need. Jesus, you are yourself uh, the greatest gift that we could receive. We praise you for, for being willing to give yourself to us. We trust you to, to lead us. Holy Spirit, make us in every way, in every sense, make us conduits of divine grace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.